Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or... FM Translator, good morning and welcome to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. It's the deep voice morning this morning. Oh, it's a little deep. You guys ready to go? Are you are you enjoying the late, mostly non-rainy summer weekends? Fall slash summer weekends? It's, uh, it was nice. It was a nice weekend. And uh, <clears throat> got a chance to... Uh, Got a chance to relax and recuperate and uh, join in, and now we are here. We are facing our first um, our first full week of the fall. A little forty five degrees here this morning uh, at the Radio Ranch. A little bit of rain, and um, you know that's okay. That's uh, it's um, it's okay. At least it didn't rain for most of the weekend. I'm okay with that. So we're we're all we're all good. Um, today on the program, we've got a uh, we've got uh, some things to talk about. In hour two, I'm gonna I'm excited to be able to sit down and chat once more with uh, our friend uh, JD Tuchili, contributing editor for Reason Magazine. He's gonna come on board and talk with us um, about broadband. Uh, broadband. Uh, of course, you know we we've had the the big talk right about Alaska and its lack of broadband. And it, this is a this is an argument that's been going on <clears throat> across the country that the more rural areas don't have access to the absolute highest speeds and everything else, which I mean makes sense uh, when you start talking about it. We're I'm going to dissect that a little bit here. Uh, in hour one before we get over to JD because uh, it's some shocking, shocking numbers uh, when you take a look at what the ultimate cost is going to be and who's footing the bill on some of that stuff. But uh, also the fact that they're not looking at um, uh, some of the alternatives that are available out there. And we, we want to talk about that as well. So JD Tuchelli is going to be joining us and talking about the uh, the number of dollars that are being invested and what it means and everything else. It should be a very interesting uh, should be a very interesting conversation in hour two. <clears throat> in hour one this morning, we are uh, going to talk just about some of the headlines and uh, and we'll we'll see what uh, we'll see what you guys uh, think about this. I might also. I mean, I don't know. We might just we might just throw some stuff together here, and um, uh, and maybe take some phone calls or or whatever here in hour one because you know it's uh, it's um, it's a Monday. We we just you know we're trying we're making it up as we go along. Sometimes that's what happens. So we will uh, we'll cover some of the things, including 
um, a new thing that uh, is being well. There's let me just say that there's some definitely definitely some ironic stories this morning that uh, make me go hmm really. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about that and. Um, maybe your grocery stores might be changing a little bit more. Um, uh, we'll, we'll see what comes about from that. And we'll talk about those things as well. It's uh, it's a lot. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. So, um, and also, of course, we're going to talk about the fact that today is the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. And, uh, we may take a moment to just think about uh, where we were and what happened and what's going on. Uh, it was, uh, I mean, that was a time and a, you know, when, when people of a previous, gen, you know, previous to my generation talk about, <clears throat> you know, what happened and where were they when Kennedy was shot and the moment that they, you know, that they heard that and how life kind of uh you know, came to a screeching halt for them. And they remember that it's a very similar situation for those of us who uh, lived through 9-11 as adults and saw all that and were glued to the TV for days as we watched what happened and tried to figure out and try and wrap our brain around what happened as this country was attacked um, by um, Osama bin Laden and his terrorist pals. And uh, so we might talk about that as well, uh, remembering those folks and remembering all the people who were uh, uh, killed and the effect that it has had and the repercussions uh, from that, um, both good and bad, across the country uh, over the last 22 years. So, I mean, you have to, th- I mean, I was thinking about this uh, yesterday that, you know, I've got kids that, they don't, they don't even, they don't remember it. They don't, you know, they weren't, a couple of them weren't even born uh, when this all took place. And uh, it's like, that's just, it's hard, it's hard to imagine the differences and how, you know, how people don't understand the, the uh, circumstances or the effect of it. And anyway, it's definitely, uh, definitely an interesting point of conversation today. So we're going to, we're going to grab all that stuff and we'll pull it together and we will uh, take some calls on that as well here in just a little bit. If you would like to, if you'd like to participate in that, we'll, we'll open up the lines and see what you have to uh, have to say. All right. Uh, so what, uh, where are we going to start on the headlines? Um, first and foremost, what are we going to uh, hit on? Well, I'm going to hit on some of the big news here over the last um, over the last day or two. I mean, my wife even. I mean, again, I'm not watching. My, I didn't turn my phone off this weekend. <laughs> my dad calls me. My dad called me on Saturday, and he was like, "I was just calling to see if you'd shut your phone off because <laughs> he had heard me talk about it." Last week when I was like, I got some text messages and some other things that I wasn't paying attention to for the long weekend because I just wanted to, you know, and I'm like, no, I, I had it turned on today, but I, but I still wasn't really watching it. And I had, anyway, I heard about this, even though it happened 
Diamond Boulevard down in Anchorage was closed for most of yesterday between C Street and King Street as there was a, uh, a gasoline truck overturned um, over uh, in the Costco parking lot. It was delivering fuel and it overturned. Now, apparently, um, they said that the, the truck, that the, the driver was in the process of making a turn into the Costco or making a sharp. Anyway, w- whatever happened, he was in the process of making that turn and lost control and overturned somehow. Well, yeah, the truck is like literally upside down. Now, they lost about 100 gallons in fuel, but they had to evacuate all of the – they basically evacuated everything in the area. They closed down the entire uh, Costco, and they shut down the street and evacuated the buildings around because it, the tanker truck was uh, full. It had 10,000 gallons of gasoline. Uh, now, they were able to come out and pump out most of the gasoline. Like they said, they spilled maybe 100 gallons or less, and uh, the truck completely undrivable as it was knocked off its frame and upside down, um, and they got it all squared away. So kudos to all those people who were working on that and trying to get all that done, but 10,000 gallons of gasoline upside down in a tanker in one of the busiest streets in the state. <laughs> that's an exciting – That's an. somebody didn't have a good weekend. Somebody was not having a good weekend on that one. Again, not quite exactly sure how that, I mean, I guess I would say, uh, I, I would I would venture to say maybe going too fast. That's just, that's what I'm going to say. Maybe going too fast. I don't know. Wasn't there. But trying to figure out exactly how they tipped the whole damn thing over. And it was a doubles. It was double. It was a double tank thing at one point so anyway um that was one of the big stories that came out uh uh, uh, from yesterday uh the other one is this story about do i have time um i have time to tease this one no i'll talk about this one instead all right uh anchorage um and uh the state are in a bit of a tussle the state of alaska through the alaska railroad corporation the um the uh, uh, the Alaska Railroad Board of Directors is set to make a decision on a lease in the upcoming weeks. Uh, there's a property owner who'd like to bid to lease a chunk of land near Fish Creek from the Alaska Railroad. And um, the railroad is going to decide whether or not they're going to allow that. The lease would likely block a long-awaited bike trail extension project. <laughs> the, the meeting of the board's real estate committee with more than a dozen Anchorage residents, including two local politicians, urged the railroad board to deny the proposed 95-year lease um, on about one acre of land to J.L. McCary, Barbara McCary, Kristen McCary, and Eric Finsith. As of, as of that morning, 73 others had testified against the lease. Um, according to the, uh, <clears throat> according to those written comments that have been turned in the project, uh, for the, uh, the project, there's no reason, there's no commentary that I can find to see why they were wanting to lease this piece of land. Um, I looked around and I didn't see exactly what it was that these folks were trying to do, but good for them. 
the state, I mean, they were willing to pay the state some money for a 95-year lease, and uh, it's one acre of land. Um, but again, it could block that bike trail that everybody wants. I mean, everybody wants the bike. I mean, you know, I'm losing sleep at night about this bike trail. The project, funded in a 91 to 9 split of federal dollars and local dollars, would connect the Spinard area Fish Creek Trail to the Tony Knowles Colster Trail. Uh, and so far, the project's development planners have found that the least impactful, what they say is the likely only viable trail route, is through the chunk of railroad land adjacent to the McCary's property. So says Emily Goodkins over at the ADN. Um, McCary basically said, and and I guess I, I misspoke when I said I didn't really know what they were going to do with it. They were basically do it doing it is that they wanted to maintain the privacy that they had right now. Um, and that, that's what they're, that's what they were looking to do. Now, I don't know if they were looking to maintain their privacy from others or to maintain their privacy by blocking the trail itself. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. But there were other property owners and residents in the area of the proposed trail that have raised concerns about the potential impact to their residents and to the Fish Creek estuary that could be caused by a big increase in bike and pedestrian travel. Uh, one re uh, resident uh, said, as a private property owner, I object to the railroad increasing the burden of the railroad easement on my property. This is part of the problem. When the easement continues to increase on a piece of property that is encroached by the railroad, the railroad, I mean, they got some, they got some deep pockets and they got some power. Uh, you talk to some of the folks who dealt with the railroad in Fairbanks over things like right-of-ways and bridge abutments and things like that, and they will tell you that the, uh, that the, that the uh, railroad does not mess around um we'll but we'll see we'll see what happens with this i'll be i'm kind of following this this probably doesn't affect most of you um you know out there you don't really care but i just find it an interesting exercise in government power when i watch this kind of stuff happen and uh i we'll see we'll see we'll see what comes down we'll we'll be following it and we'll keep you in the loop as to what's going on all right we gotta uh, we gotta go Hour one continues. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. Well, you're going to have to talk amongst yourselves here for a second because uh, I got to take care. I got to take care of something here. Got to take care of something. Don't go anywhere.
Okay. Well, that should hopefully fix the uh, not on the air problem in uh, in Fairbanks. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? What is happening with you guys? Um, I'm sorry. I'm just just going back through. Uh, flip the light on, let the dog out on top of my truck sparkles more than the <laughs> Fifth Avenue flame. It's, uh, yeah, a little crisp out there. Yeah, little, little crisp out there. Um, how about that New Mexico Governor Grisham? Yeah, she's going to have some issues, I'm going to tell you right now. Um, it's interesting to watch some of these states that are more purple than red or blue to see how things go, but... We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, good morning. I remember, says Jerrica, I was young, but Dad made us pay attention and watch the news with him. Oh, that's good. I mean, I didn't... Oh, it was such a weird time. Such a weird time. Uh, and then Bill says, Good job, Ron. Proud of you. I'm, a th- I'm assuming that means for calling me and making sure that my phone is on. Uh, oh, Terry says there was another vehicle involved in that rollover of the fuel truck, and it's under investigation. Well, see, good. That's why I said I don't really know anything about it, but I don't. I just don't. Uh, I just don't know. Just don't know. Um. All right. It is Monday. I'm sorry, Jeannie. Jeannie's like, oh my god, it's Monday already. Um. Leadville, uh, David's down in Leadville hanging out. Um, all right, here we go. Good morning. Good morning. They will push the lease through just like they did with a solar farm in Houston, says Jerrica. Uh, none of the residents wanted it if that property was assigned or designated for the Houston Elementary School. They still pushed it through what the governor can't, wants the governor gets, even if they have to take it against the people's will. Well, that's not very fun. Um, Big Lake doesn't have a decision council to go through either. Okay, there you go. All right, 39 degrees, Willowside of Hatcher Pass. It's 39 degrees right now. Yeah, 43, 44 degrees here at the old house of the old homestead. So it's uh, we're a little bit warmer than uh, than back that way, but... Yeah, I'm afraid to. I'm afraid to tell you, winter is coming. That's what's uh, going on. Okay, well, if you guys are ready to uh, rock and roll and get back into it, we're about to jump back into the. Uh, we're about to jump back into it and get get continuing on here this morning. Um, any other topic that you guys want to talk about this morning, let me know. Whatever you want to, whatever you want to chat about, I am uh, all ready to do it, and uh, we're going to see if we can. Thirty-four in Sterling, oof, oof, da, that's a little crisp this morning. Little crisp. You guys can keep that stuff. I don't need. I don't need that. No, I don't. You guys just keep that. I'm happy with where I'm at. 
All right, here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. you guys doing this morning you ready to uh continue shall we jump back into this here and let's turn that down a little bit that was great but a little little fun all right let's uh let's get back to it and uh continue to dive back in yes i know i mean i don't want to be that guy but winter is around the corner and here here we are doing our thing getting ready did you do everything that you were supposed to do i mean that was that was something else i talked to my dad and 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 i was like yeah i feel really bad today because i've i had some things that i wanted to do this weekend and man i just i'm i don't feel like doing it today i'm tired i'm just gonna put it off i got a couple things done but i did not get nearly over the weekend i said i'll do it tomorrow dad's like good for you and i'm like okay good thanks dad thanks for hooking me up and uh here we are (laughs) I got through the weekend. Hello. Good morning. But I didn't get nearly the things done that I wanted to get done. There's just, uh, you know. But I guess this too shall pass. If uh, if I, you know, I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I won't be looking back and wondering about, boy, I should have trimmed back some of those trees or done some of that or done some of those other things. I guess there were some other things that I are more important in the long run than uh, doing all that stuff and hanging out with the. Uh, Hanging out with the love of my life and, uh, and you know, talking to kids and enjoying each other's time. I guess that was more important than it, than it is. So, yeah, Rick says all he wanted to do was nap. I, it, you know, that's perfectly acceptable for the weekend. If you want to, you know, and I know some of you, I use the term weekend colloquially because a lot of you are like, no, we don't even, I don't even get a weekend. And I appreciate that. I mean, I get a lot of work done in five days. Um, you know, 10, 10, 12 hours a day is not an uh, unusual time for me, but, uh, I, I know what you mean that, you know, sometimes on the weekends, I just want to put my feet up and turn on the, turn on the, the Netflix or whatever, watch some documentary or movie or TV show, or, uh, you know, just hang out and, and play D and D or do something, you know, just something. Okay, uh, Bill said he napped in the muskeg due to the lack of bullwinkles. Yeah, uh, b- moose season is open, and everybody's ready to go out and get themselves the big the big bull. Well, you let me you let me know let me know how that goes for you. All right, let me go back over to a couple of the stories that are going on here, and this is a story that I um, I'm just immediately. Tr- tr- 
I guess triggered. I'm immediately triggered by is this story over in the Alaska Beacon. It's not a story. I'm sorry. It's a piece of commentary. It's a letter from, I mean, it's basically a letter to the editor. But um, I, I immediately was triggered when I saw the authors of this piece, specifically Andrea McLeod. Um, the, the headline reads, Alaskans shouldn't cover personal legal costs of governor, attorney general, and lieutenant governor. So it's, it starts off talking about it's a tired game of deja vu. Governor Dunleavy, Attorney General Treg Taylor are again attempting to change regulations so that the state of Alaska has to cover legal costs for the governor and attorney general and lieutenant governor if they're under investigation for dishonest and unethical misconduct. The public has until September 11th today to tell them that, just like in 2019, we're not interested in footing the bill. In 2019, those regulation changes originally proposed by uh, Attorney General Craig Clarkson, now disgraced, uh, and prepared by then-Deputy Attorney Treg Taylor, were ultimately abandoned without public notice. The Alaska Public Interest Research Group, AKPIRG, are opposed to them and is, was opposed then and is opposed now. This... T- this deal cooked up by Taylor to propose changes to Alaska's ethic reg, reg, uh, regulations would authorize the use of inexhaustible state funds, assets, resources, and personnel to foot their legal bill and defend them, even if they're found to have violated the ethics law. Alaskans should not be discouraged for a f- uh, from a, uh, our few remaining avenues of holding our highest elected officials accountable. Now, this story goes on a bit more and talks about, quotes, Attorney General Jana Lindemuth and quotes Matt Clayman. And that pretty much should say most everything you need to know about this. But here's the here's the point of this whole story. For those of you who are uh, for those of you who haven't uh, been, I guess, paying attention or don't remember have a short, shorter memory. Andrea McLeod, who, according to the. Uh, Oops, let me pull this up so that I can read her bio again. Andrea McLeod, born in Beirut, Lebanon, and immigrated with her family to Long Island, New York, has been in Alaska since 1978. And you'll remember her hobbies include making good trouble through citizen engagement. You'll remember that this is the chick that hounded Sarah Palin out of office. I mean, again, we can have that whole discussion about um, we can have that whole discussion about, oh, Sarah's a quitter and everything. I didn't vote for Sarah. okay, but it wasn't because she was a quitter. I mean, that's the that's the the usual refrain. Oh, she's a. if you will recall. And this goes so hand in glove with what we were just talking about. If you will recall, Andrea McLeod filed something along the lines of. Damn, it must have been nearly a dozen separate ethics complaints against Sarah Palin. And literally, their legal expenses on that at the time, because I had somebody who was, I I knew somebody who was kind of close to the whole thing at the time, and we were talking about it. 
and their legal expenses were reaching somewhere into the seventy or eighty thousand dollar range, having to defend themselves against these spurious and kind of nothing burgers that Andrea McLeod was lobbing at them over and in fact her bio picture is her standing underneath an Alaska Public Offices Commission sign. I mean, this is, I mean, she says her hobbies include making good trouble through citizen engagement. She has weaponized, she, we, she was one of the first people to ever weaponize the um, APOC political system to the point to where Palin eventually left office. Now, again, I know you're going to, oh, she, she quit it. Hey, when you are in office and literally it was one ethics complaint on the heel of another one, including you can't wear that jacket to your husband's takeoff at the Iron Dog that says Arctic Cat across the back because that's a state endorsement of Arctic Cat. No, it's a coat that I, I mean, really. This is the kind of stuff that was going on. And I don't remember all the details. I, that one stuck out to me because it was pretty obvious. But this gal is now writing this article about how we shouldn't cover the personal legal costs of the governor or attorney general or lieutenant governor if they get sued for dishonest, unethical misconduct. She says dishonest. It's basically an ethics violation complaint. If there's an ethics violation complaint of any way that, you know, no, they should have to pay for it. Why? Because she's had such success in the past. I mean, she literally has driven people out of office through the and you know, and they hated Sarah. They hated Sarah at the time. I mean, that's, you know, kind of, that was before uh, Sarah got a little bit of a taste of the, of the, uh, I guess the public eye and the spotlight and the, and the fame and everything else, you know, Sarah was doing her best to make it good for Alaska. And I thought she was doing a pretty darn good job, but at every turn, Andrea McLeod and others like her were there to I mean, I don't even know how many in total there must have been. But there was never any there was never anything that came out of it, any of them. And each one requires attorney time and things like that. Again, when you're when you're when your legal bills just for being in office uh, and to protect yourself and others is seventy or eighty thousand dollars, and it becomes this complete and total dog and pony show where it is um, um, a distraction from the actual work of getting stuff done. I can understand why uh, Sarah eventually pulled the plug. I can understand. I mean, I may not have agreed. I may have. I may have stuck to it. I don't know. I'm not in that position. I may have done something slightly different, but the fact that she is now, Andrea McLeod is now out there complaining that how dare they say that the, and I've said this for years, that if somebody is going to file an ethics complaint, in partially because they were filing an ethics complaint and then leaking the contents of the complaint, right? Because it's supposed to be a private proceeding. It's supposed to be 
part of the deal was is that you file a complaint and then everything's kind of hush-hush. But she'd file a complaint and then all of a sudden you'd hear about the details of it. And they were weaponizing it and using it in that regard. I would be all for the state defending the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the attorney general uh, right up until the point where they discovered that, you know, that they were if they were convicted. You know what I'm saying? If it turned out that they were doing wrongdoing and then you'd be on the hook for the legal fees. If you're not, then, you know, I would just say that's, again, people – People are utilizing it for uh, the the ethics rules and the complaining process and everything else. They're using it for something that it was not intended to. They're using it, again, as lawfare. So I have no a problem with um, – because, I mean, who's got the deep pockets to do it? I mean, we've talked about Kevin McCabe and that whole thing on the uh, the Facebook deal. You know, where his Facebook, uh, his Facebook post lawsuit or whatever, that's run into the tens of thousands of dollars to try and fight because he because somebody got abusive on his Facebook page and he blocked them and then they sued because he's a public servant and you can't do that. And now there's a huge lawsuit there. I know that Shower had talked about having the similar type of lawsuit. I know others have been you know, put on the hot spot for that kind of ethics violation. I mean, you know, it's, again, lawfare. Nobody needs that. Absolutely nobody. But uh, Andrea McLeod writing this piece about it and getting it carried by the uh, Alaska Beacon is, uh, is, is, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to watch and the fact that she's out there doing those things. And the fact that even she says in her thing, her hobbies include making good trouble through citizen engagement. Yep. That's what it's all about. All right. Uh, we got to go. Uh, we're going to be back here in just a moment and we'll see what comes up next. JD Tuchilli from Reason Magazine is going to join us in hour two talking about broadband services across the country, but specifically here in Alaska, too. We'll be back. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like... America used to be streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, all righty. I mean, how? I mean, uh, McLeod is a FACL member. FACL is a bully organization. Um. I don't think she's a member of FACL. She she may have taught FACL a few things. Um, let me go back up here and see what's going on. Um, last year, we got a bunch of snow. We got a bunch of snow the third week of September, says Jeremy, down on the peninsula. He says, might do something like that again. Everybody get your wood delivered and firewood put away. Um, let's see. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. 
Um, going through. Taylor is as crooked as a dog's hind leg, says Terry. Treg Taylor is who Terry is. I mean, okay, so here's the thing. I don't even care at this point. I mean, he's not being, he's not being, uh, uh, he doesn't have any ethics complaints against him, but it's the process. And uh, again, I'm just going back to my time and watching the meltdown that happened when Sarah Palin was governor and watching Andrea McLeod just sit back on the sidelines and lob grenade after grenade after grenade. I mean, that that's the that's the that's the deal. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. Well, it does matter to me, but it doesn't it doesn't affect my opinion whether you think that Treg Taylor is crooked or not. The whole point is, is that they're doing it as lawfare now. With a contingency that says if you are found guilty, you have to pay for your own legal fees, that's one thing. But the fact that they put these, again, spurious and unfounded accusations out there and make you defended and it ends up costing you tens of thousands of dollars, that's a problem. So there you go. Um, okay. Winner's here. Deal with it. Yeah, I know winner's here. I mean, winner is... Winter is coming. That's we're mere we're mere days away. I mean, we're what? Six weeks away from Halloween? I mean, that puts us just a few days away from Christmas. Um all right. Uh going through. Okay. Uh, is she single asking for a friend is Andrea McLeod single. Oh, you want to hook her up with Scott Kendall? Although too, that would be like, oof. you ever seen that movie of the thing? That's what I've reminded of. Um, um, that's fair. Says, uh, David defend until conviction presumption, uh, presumption of innocence is gone. That makes, would make, you know, sense to me. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. All right. Now people are talking about crushing up and snorting Folgers into powder. What is the matter with you people? I mean, seriously, that's some messed up stuff right there. Definitely some messed up stuff. Okay. Good morning, Melody. All right. We're all caught up. Let's see. It's a Monday. We were off the air in Fairbanks. They were playing alternate programming. So we got that fixed. And now we made it all the way through all the stuff here um, for uh, the chat room. So we're all caught up there. And we're about ready to do it. And JD2 Chili is going to be joining us here in just a little bit. So it's a good Monday morning. That's a that's a good. So what did you guys do? Everybody, I want to read what you guys did this morning on the um in the uh, on the weekend. What did you guys do? What were you, you know, what was it all about? What were you working on? Hit me with it. Tell me what you guys did this weekend. I want to know. I want to know here. I'm going to let you guys type for a second here. I'm going to take a drink of water. Okay. Nothing. 
guys didn't do anything this weekend. Uh, I'm assuming that Greg said, since he said it was 36 in Sterling, I'm assuming that he went to the cabin this weekend up in Sterling from Homer. How odd is it that when you have you uh, when you have your favorite place in the world and you go there for vacation, that those people that live in your favorite place of the world, they've got cabins and vacation homes somewhere else completely. <laughs> that is a place that you probably wouldn't want to go. Isn't that just isn't that weird? It's just one of those things. It's weird. Um, Melody said her oldest daughter got married on Friday. Congratulations. That's amazing. That's awesome. Uh, Greg was prepping his wall finish for his wood. Jeffrey fixed his wife's clothes dryer because he is a champ. Mowed the lawn, resurrected my reloading workstation project. See, you guys all did the stuff, and I just did nothing. I did very little. I'm just doing, doing a deal. Here we go, the Michael Duke Show. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. Welcome back. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, uh, free-thinking radio. Hour one continues here this morning. I'm opening up the phone lines. We're going to talk for just a minute here about just to, I just want to take a minute. I think I'd be remiss if I, I try and remember it every time that it comes through. 9-11. Today is 9-11-23. 22 years after the fact. And, um, you know, I just want to, um, just, I just want to reminisce for a second and ask you, you know, where were you when, uh, when you got the word? Um, I still remember, um, I still remember, you know, how it happened. Um, at the time my radio show was in the evening, not in the morning. Uh, my radio show was in the evening drive, uh, till 6 PM. And then, you know, I went home and, and, you know, spent time with the fam and everything. Uh, so I remember that that morning uh, getting up and uh, get, getting ready to go to work and I was driving into work and it was probably 7, 7, 15, 7 30 in the morning. I, I don't remember exactly what time. But I remember that I'm flicking on KFAR in Fairbanks heading into the station from North Pole and I start hearing the news. There's you know it's it's it, it had happened. I think it had happened 45 minutes earlier or an hour earlier. Um, and I was just like blown away. Uh, I was probably halfway into town when I heard about it, made it all the way into town. And the whole, the whole station was just, I mean, everything stopped. Everything stopped. I remember the general manager at the time, uh, Terry Wally and the location of the radio station, there was an apartment above the station and that's where the general manager lived. And I remember he ran a long cable downstairs from his house. He had cable TV upstairs. We didn't have cable at the station, but he had cable TV upstairs in his apartment and he wheeled a wielded TV down and, and wheeled it into one of the studios, the KFER studio, in fact, and we all stood around and just watched it for a couple hours. 
just watched what was going on and just being blown away. Absolutely blown away. Um, and then, then he sent everybody home. He said, that's it. We're all done. Um, and just for days to watch that over and over and the recap and the rehash. And, you know, today they won't even show, they will, you can't even, um, watch the public tele broadcast television and networks and, and, uh, and cable TV networks will not even show the, they won't show the impacts. They won't show the people falling from the building. They won't show those things anymore. And some of the reasons you hear is because, you know, again, we need to see that. We need to understand that we are vulnerable, that we are always vulnerable, that American exceptionalism does not protect us like some kind of shield, that those things can happen. And I find it interesting that, um, I find it interesting that in today's society, here we are 22 years later, and I don't know if they're afraid that somebody might be offended by seeing that or be shocked or whatever, but it was the truth. It was the truth. And they played that stuff on repeat for, you know, a good, a good three or four days. That was all there was not, there was no other, there was nothing else to watch. That's what it was over and over and over again. And today they can't even play it. Today, they don't even play it on, they don't show the impact of the planes on the towers. They don't show the, you know, the horror of, of the buildings collapsing or people falling from the buildings and some of the other things. They just don't show that. Not that I'm, I'm not that I'm morbidly wishing for it, but what I'm saying is we're, it's kind of like we're whitewashing it to, to make it not as horrible as it was. And I guess if there's, and um, if there's anything that I've been thinking about when it comes to 9-11 over the last couple of years. Um, it's that. I think I first noticed it. I think I first noticed it about four years ago that they had stopped. That It's, it's you know, none of the mainstream outlets have got any kind of archival footage that they just readily show people about the planes hitting the towers or the t- tower falling or the people jumping and, and things like that. And... Um, that's that's pretty frustrating. That's pretty frustrating for sure. Not that I want to go back and rewatch that over and over and over again, but the fact that they, again, try to hide it or whitewash it when we should be able to say, you know, and I, I didn't let my kids watch um, the news at that point. I mean, we were all in such shock that at that point I'm like, I don't want to, I don't, I don't need to frighten the kids at this point. Uh, you know, a couple of them were real, real young. Um, my oldest would have been uh, 10 years old, nine years old. And uh, so I didn't want to, I, I didn't, I didn't want to jump into that, but yeah, it, it it's something that we need to be show, be able to show them later on to say, this is what happened and this is what went down. And the whole city and the whole, I'm sorry, the whole, uh, the whole country came together pretty much. That's, I mean, you watched the whole country kind of unite behind that. And that was amazing. Except for the ones in, 
I don't know if it was the Somalis in Minnesota or whatever who got together and cheered in the streets kind of thing. That created a little bit of hard feeling. But for the most part, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting to, uh, to, to look back on and think about where you were at, what you were doing, how it affected your life. Some of you were much younger than me, and you may have been in just regular school, grade school, high school. Some of you are much older, but um, I just remember sitting there and thinking, wow, that's going to change the world. That's going to change the world. And it has. All right. Um, what else? Uh, oh, there's a whole article here that uh, I didn't get to talking about the national political fight over electric vehicles surfaces in Alaska. And what uh, the article is talking about is the pushback from the oil and gas industry. Um, the AOGA conference on the 30th of August had the president of the American Petroleum Institute who came in and was blasting the uh, was blasting the Biden administration uh, for ruling, uh, creating a rule that aimed at accelerating the use of electric vehicles. I'm shocked. You mean the president of the American Petroleum Institute would want to slow roll the rollout of electric vehicles versus gas-powered vehicles? Colored me shocked. I can't believe it. Um, and then they quoted him as saying, you know, I've been in Alaska for a few days and I've yet to see an EV. Well, you probably haven't looked close enough because I see EVs all the time. Electric vehicles, they're all the time. Um, they're here to stay. Um, whether they are practical in the long run or make sense in Alaska, I don't know. I had a friend uh, reach out to me uh, uh, or a friend and a listener uh, reach out to me, an acquaintance and a listener, I guess reach out to me the other day uh, via email and say, hey, you were talking about electric cars and and I've got one and and I wanted to I'm coming down and I was gonna I wanted to meet you to show you all the features of this Tesla and you can because I think he thought I was bad mouthing electric cars, which I, if you want to buy an electric car, more power to you. I have no I'm ambivalent. I'm not interested in having an electric car, but if you want one, go for it. That's, I've got no problem with that whatsoever. I'm happy. I'm happy, happy, happy. If you're happy, I'm happy. But I just, you know, again, the, you know, the re restriction in the number of miles you can roll because of the cold and, and, and the fact that you have to recharge it every two or three days, depending on how much usage you have and where you're going. The fact that I live, I mean, my daily commute and when I go into town is 140 miles, 130 miles. My daily commute. I mean, it's just not something that I'm necessarily interested in. They're very cool. Technologically, they're very cool. But this whole article goes in about the fact that, you know, oh, this is the way of the future. And, you know, and this is why we need more state money and federal money to go into creating these charging stations, you know, and somebody else is going to pay for the power and all this. I mean, this is just the whole thing is just a hot, hot, hot mess. So, uh, I, uh, there you go. That was the other story that we, I, I guess I got partially into it when it was all said and done. All right. We're going to be back here in just a moment. We've got more coming up. Uh, we're going to be talking with JD2Chili from Reason Magazine. 
about broadband in Alaska. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Okay, um, J.D. Tuchilli will be joining us here in just a few minutes from Reason Magazine. We'll see what goes on from there. Let me get caught up in the chat room here. Um, bring this, determine the fire was a result of arson. Um... Identified the perpetrator of the arson as Joseph Snatcher. Snatcher? Satcher? Satcher? Sorry. All right. Thanks, Susie. Uh, Sue? Um, Cheryl says, well, it was on the TV. I think she's talking about the TV. She said it was, wow, come on. There we go. Ooh, everything running a little slow this morning. It was on when I walked into math class and I was on the TV for the rest of the day. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Uh, Jason says, wow. Come on, dude. Stop messing with my melon here. I'm trying tried to highlight Jeff trying to highlight Jason's comments and uh, for some reason it's not loving me all right let me close this because that that doesn't make any sense let me close some of this stuff here um, trying to trying to get these trying to get this commentary up there so you guys can see what's going on there we go turn that off and okay Mm-hmm. Well, is this thing even still streaming at this point? I just see the JD2 Chili. I just see JD2 Chili popped into the uh popped into the green room, so we know that that part is working. Let me see if I can get uh We're in the top of the hour break, so I may I may need to have to refresh that page to make sure this is there we go. See I can't get Cheryl's comment off the bottom of the page. So, uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to refresh my page. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, JD's in the green room right now, so he should stay connected. I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Let me, uh, let me do that. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Whew. 
I don't know what the deal was. I couldn't get her comment off the screen. Something was busted, man. Something was busted. Jason said, uh, we poured our garage floor concrete that morning. The date in the corner gives me chills every time. Delivered pizzas later that afternoon and everyone was just in shock. Yeah, I mean, again, you remember that time. You remember what day it was. You remember what was going on. And yeah, I remember the whole, I remember the whole radio station was just, we pulled that TV into that studio and just sat down and for two hours, we just huddled around the TV and watched what was going on. And then we went home because there was just nothing else to do at that point. You know, it was crazy. Um, all right. Uh, I'm just looking back to see what anything, if there's anything else, JD is going to be here. Uh, MEA is struggling not only with the prospect of the loss of Cook Inlet gas, but maintaining integrity on their grid. So what do they do? Propose building charging stations all the way to Healy. I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. JD Tuchili is our guest. Uh, let's, uh, let's go in and check in on him to make sure that his audio is all good and that we can, uh, we're about uh, two minutes out here from rejoining the radio. We're about to talk about broadband, broadband. Uh, it's not Broadway. It's broadband. Uh, good morning, my friend. Uh, how are you doing this morning? Doing well on you, you know, 43 degrees and rain and uh winter is coming i feel like i'm quoting ned stark uh but winter is coming and i guess that's the choice i made right i don't live in arizona what's it like there in arizona? i'm living vicariously through you what's it like there well we haven't hit 80 yet today so it's a little chilly i hate you so much right now in a loving <laughs> In a loving Christian way. I hate you so much right now. Well, that's good. Uh, we ready to uh, jump in and do this thing? You all good? Of course. Okay, good. I'm going to pull you back in the green room real quick, and we will be back with more here in just a hot second. Uh, folks, do me a favor. Uh, like and share. Like and uh, uh, like and follow. It uh, doesn't matter where you're watching us, on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, wherever. Uh, just like and share and do all the things. Get more people involved. That would be the that would be the way to do things today. We want to get more folks involved in the conversation. Again, I'm about ready to um, um, I'm about ready to jump into this, and uh, I'm gonna. Oops, I need to drop this story real quick. Let me let me put the uh, let me put this story from JD in the chat room. You guys can read it while we're getting uh, ready to go. There you go. There's JD's story about broadband, where Alaska figures prominently into the equation. All right, here we go. Getting ready to jump into it. Hour two right now. Common Sense Radio. Back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? 
This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the interwebs uh, at MichaelDukeShow.com, where you'll find links to the audio-only stream, uh, links to the podcast, wherever you find good podcasts, and Spotify and you and iTunes and all that stuff. And, of course, uh, links to our social media sites of Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, where we simulcast the radio show every morning. And, of course, speaking of radio shows, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or FM translator, something like 20-something translators carrying the show around the state of Alaska from uh, from all the way out in the Aleutian chain uh, out there at Unalaska, all the way up to the deep, deep woods of the interior of Alaska, where soon it will be 50 below. I just point, just want to point that out to you. God, I'm glad I left Fairbanks. Um, I mean, I love you guys a lot, but woof, man. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's jump into it. Hour two now, and today we're going to be joined by our guest, uh, contributing editor to Reason Magazine, J.D. Tuchili, who tells me it's a little chilly down there where he's at in Arizona because it hasn't hit 80 degrees yet this morning, which is just kind of sad and sick, but it is what it is. Uh, good morning, my friend. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Yeah, well, I appreciate you coming on board. I abuse my friendship with JD a bit and bring him on whenever he writes something good, which is all the time, by the way. I mean, he could be a weekly guest. If you have not subscribed to his new uh, newsletter called The Rattler, uh, which is available over at Reason Magazine uh, or Reason.com, uh, you should, because every morning I go into my inbox and there's something new and they're all really good. But J.D. recently wrote this article talking about the Biden administration's ridiculously spendy broadband promises. And I really got into it because it specifically talks about Alaska. And when you get into the numbers on this stuff, it's uh, it's kind of terrifying. Now, full disclosure for folks, uh, you know, I'm not saying that people shouldn't have access to the Internet. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, I'm saying that when you choose to live in a uh, rural or in the case of Alaska, hyper rural, when you are there is no roads to where you're at, it's 800 miles by plane and, you know, everything else that you should expect that you will not have the same amenities that you would if you lived on Fifth Avenue in Anchorage. Right. It's just one of those things. That's just kind of the trade off between living that rural lifestyle versus the urban lifestyle. But it seems like government is always trying to pick winners and losers and always trying to level the playing field uh, and usually doing so, making everybody equally miserable. Like, turn it over to J.D. J.D., tell us about this whole thing. And specifically, what blew me away on a lot of this stuff is the costs involved on a per mile, per capita, per household basis. Hit me with a story from the beginning here, J.D. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, when the Biden administration uh, first took office, uh, one of their big promises among many was Internet for all. Uh, they saw that as a tragedy that not everybody has super speedy broadband so they can play games and also stream ultra high def movies at the same time. So they committed themselves to spending billions of dollars on top of pre-existing federal programs to make sure that Americans hooked up to broadband. And um, it's been a slog. It's happening, but it's expensive. And how expensive hit the headlines last week when the Wall Street Journal reported that on the Winnebago Reservation in Nebraska, some of the hookups, uh, and they call them passings in the industry because you're passing each household, and they break down charges by mile of, of fiber optic cable laid, and each household passed. And some of the hookups cost uh, $53,000 for each household, which actually in many cases is more than the house is worth. <laughs> that, that's that's uh, 53000 yeah. I pass the house. We lay the cable. We pass the house. The house is a $35,000, you know, uh, trailer with a one again on the side of it. But it costs $53,000 to get broadband to this $35,000 house on the reservation. I mean, it's absolutely remarkable. Yeah, yeah it's, it's expensive. I mean, you got yeah. someone living in a single wide and the, and the hookup connection for the Internet is more expensive than the house. So I started digging. And this is relevant to you. I found out that is not the most egregious example. Uh, Fierce Telecom Surprise. reported last year. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. sorry. In Alaska, I mean, they have these companies come in and bid on laying broadband cable out to various communities. And as you well know better than I do, how remote some of the communities in Alaska can be. Um, it turns out that some of the bids came in per household at $200,000 plus per hookup. That's a lot of money to be able to see your, uh, you know, your high def. Right. I, I, I can't watch it. I can't watch it in just standard definition or even 4K. I have to watch it in UHD to make it work. And uh, and they've got to lay all these. Here's what kills me, J.D., is that they are just so sold on laying the physical, actual fiber. These are places, again, there are no roads to these places. So, I mean, they're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars to lay down these fibers. And everything. and yet at the same time, we've got people, you know, buying into Starlink, which doesn't even have the full constellation of satellites up above Alaska yet. But they're already and they're paying. Uh, I mean, one guy down in a remote area down towards Bethel, which is several hundred miles away from where I'm at. He said that his internet uh, before this for just mediocre, slow-speed internet was $300 a month. Now he's got, he's got Starlink. It's half a gig up, uh, uh, you know, half a gig download, and he pays 99 bucks a month. It's, uh, yeah. you know, there's, there's other options out there, but this is what the administration wants to do is spend all this money to make sure that everybody has the latest and greatest and the highest and fastest. And that's just it. They're investing in this technology that is the latest and greatest right now. But after you've laid all that fiber optic in place, they're risking, and I didn't even go into this in my piece, but they're risking replicating the problems that happened with telephone, which is that a lot of countries did not have good telephone connection. They started looking, okay, how much copper cable can we lay to make sure everyone's got a landline? And then, of course, technology leapfrogged ahead of that. And nobody wants a landline there now because they carry around, like everybody else, mobile phones. And uh, what happened in a lot of these third world countries, they ended up with pretty decent cell networks because private companies came in, bypassed the state controlled uh, landline hookups and put in cell networks. 
So we don't know what kind of technology is going to be the latest and greatest 10, 15, or 20 years from now. We do know that it's costing a mint billions of dollars to lay fiber optic right now without knowing how long that fiber optic is going to be current technology. And it's not necessary. Most of Americans actually have access to internet. I don't have fiber optic. I use what's called fixed wireless. It's a microwave connection. I got a little dish on my roof, just like I got a dish for you know, to receive my television. Um, it's slow versus a lot of other internet connections, but now I've got uh, other options. I mean, I, I already had HughesNet as an option. I had Viasat, and now Starlink is coming in. This all serves rural areas at better prices, and it's and it's scalable, um, and it's also could be a, it's higher tech. I mean, it really can be a, you know moved on to the next generation much more easily than fixed fiber optic laid across the landscape could ever be. Right. So, yeah, I, I understand what rural is like. It's a trade-off. I decided on that when I moved here, and I knew that. And it's not the end of life. <laughs> Wait, and I, I remember one of your stories. You moved from New York to this super rural area yep. of Arizona. That little bit of a little bit of a shock, right? I mean, it's a whole different deal. But you made that choice. Um, they, I made that choice, yeah. and when I moved out here, all they had was dial-up. I'll point that out, and I still I still made telecommuting work. Nowadays, we have streaming movies, but you know what? It's not so bad. I watch them in SD instead of UHD. Um, I, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Let me recommend to you, my friend, Starlink. It is definitely the, it is definitely the way to go. And again, for a hundred bucks a month, uh, you, you, you know, you can't beat that kind of stuff. And so every time I see these dollars and we saw it in the American, was it the American rescue plan? What was the plan called? Uh, the, anyway, we, we see this being added to each and every bill. Every time we turn around, uh, there's some other bill coming out and they've inserted another chunk of money into, uh, again, telecom broadband for all. And, and I don't want to seem mean or anything, but it seems like the only winners in this thing are the telco companies who've built their whole business model about in executing this kind of governmental, uh, this governmental uh, expanse of uh, of, te of telecom stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, they're heavily subsidized. Uh, they put in their bids. There's only so many companies that are going to do some of these more extreme hookups. And then the bids are based upon what, you know, um, for instance, that Alaska hookup that came in at $200,000 plus per passing. Uh, the article I read mentioned, well, they could have put in wireless, you know, uh, uh, you know, transceivers instead, but none of the bids included that technology. And in fact, if you go in and you dig through the paperwork, the government discourages the wireless because they've decided on their own that it's not fast enough. Never mind that much of the country gets by just fine on, on wireless and that it's incredibly cheaper to install wireless connections and put dishes on people's roofs than it is to lay fiber optic across wilderness. But uh, none of the bids came in with that. And so you ended up with over $200,000 per hookup in Alaska. And of course, in, in Nebraska, $53,000 per hookup. What, uh, I mean, you've been counting this, and this is, again, this has been going on for a long, this is not just a recent Joe Biden issue. You talked earlier on that they spent uh, a lot of money, uh, several billion dollars early on. What's the, what's the price tag up to now? I mean, what are we talking about? When did it start and how much have we kind of cumulatively spent? Have you been tracking that? Cumulatively, no. But I can tell you that it's been it was tens of billions of dollars before the Biden administration committed upwards of 65 billion with 42 billion specifically for the uh, fast Internet hookups. Uh, 
but you already had a multiplicity of, um, of programs. The Department of Agriculture has one. The FCC has one. They're duplicating each other's efforts. They have different levels of, of efficiencies in terms of getting the broadband um, out to the recipients, you know, out wherever they may live, to the point where the Government Accountability Office uh, put out a report in, I think it was two years ago, saying that this is ridiculous. No one is coordinating. Nobody is controlling the costs. No one knows what the other agencies are doing and that the money is adding up billions of dollars on billions of dollars. And they've been doing this since about 2008. That's when the first program came in. So, so you've got multiple pro you've got multiple departments doing the same program with multiple pots of money all going to man i'm in the wrong business i should have started a small telco somewhere in a rural area i barely could have written my own ticket on this deal yeah i, I mean it would have been quite a deal anybody who's got who can get a couple of reels of fiber optic because that's what the government is looking for is making a mint on these they put in their bids uh they refuse to look at the alternate technology because there's more competitors on that and because the feds have, for whatever reason decided that that's not fast enough and it's, then it's a matter of okay, how do you get uh, how do you get that fiber optic laid across the wasteland in such a way that it's going to survive whatever extreme conditions are out there too? That's another consideration. Not that I want the government involved in in not that I want the government involved in much of anything, but I mean all these billions of dollars that they spent. I mean, how many satellite constellations could they have set over the United States? I mean, how many low Earth orbit satellites they could have blanketed the entire stratosphere with enough satellites to give coverage across the whole country at this point for that kind of money? I mean, that's when you're talking forty, fifty, sixty, eighty billion dollars. That's that's some real money. We're talking real money now. And there'll be huge cost savings on that. Okay. It, granted, the Biden administration hates Elon Musk, who owns SpaceX and is putting up Starlink, but he does have competitors. I mean, in the US, you've got Viasat and HughesNet. And the only reason there aren't other competitors, I mean, in terms of the low Earth orbit satellites, is because the US government discourages it, says we don't want this tech. You have other companies in other countries. Mexico's got a company uh, putting up uh, satellites. Uh, I mean, if, if they're doing it for Mexico, uh, I think we could probably get a couple of competitors in this country if they were more open to that technology. Yeah, uh, and, and again, of course, I, again, that is scalable. Yeah, again, I don't want necessarily want the government involved in controlling our access to a lot of that stuff, which is, you know, again, if they spent that same money doing it. Uh, but what we need is more competition in the space. Uh, I mean, we've seen Musk do it. We've seen, you know, you like you said, you got HughesNet and some of these other ones. But it it just when you start thinking about the cost of two hundred thousand dollars for a single hookup in some rural community. Uh, and you know, if there's a dozen houses, my gosh, that adds up real quick. And, uh, it, it doesn't always, uh, it doesn't always, uh, uh, answer the question. JD Tuchilli is our, our guest. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to ask him if, uh, he's found any in researching the story and talking about those things, what are their alternatives he had? And then we'll also pick his brain on some of the other things that he's been writing about. Uh, recently, the Michael Duke Show continues. JD to Chile, our guest. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We'll return with more here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Don't forget to check us out again on Facebook. If you want to come join the conversation during the break, just go to facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. Back with more right after this.
running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. J.D. Tuchilli, our guest here uh, on the program. Uh, Chris says, the only wire that goes to my TV is the power cable. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's great. I mean, I, you know, and I'm like that as well. Um, I haven't had, God, I haven't had broadcast television. It's almost 20 years since I've had broadcast. In fact, when they went, when, I don't remember, must have been 20 years ago that they went to the digital signals where you could didn't used to have you know the rabbit ears or you could have antennas or whatever and then they went to the digital signals and where i lived i couldn't get a digital signal and i wasn't about to pop for some and that's when i went to dish network and then later on i killed my dish network because netflix and others started stream i've been on the stream for nearly 20 years now uh streaming using the internet buying faster and faster internet as they became available um because of the work that i do and everything else uh, I just, you know, the technology, as you were saying, JD, just leapfrogs and changes. And after you lay down all this very expensive infrastructure, uh, it doesn't guarantee that you'll be in, you'll be in the cutting edge of any of this stuff. Not at all. I mean, you run the risk of replicating all those copper cables across the landscape for, uh, for landline phones. I don't have a landline phone anymore. A lot of people I know don't. I mean, you just, you just carry your phone around with you and you rely on the cell connection. We don't know what the tech is going to be. It costs a fortune to lay down the fiber optic. And 10 years from now, there might there might be a necessity for something that has wider bandwidth than what can be what the fiber optic is capable of doing, or maybe entirely different technology. But if you invest in this, um, if you if you commit yourself to a technology now, you're kind of betting that it's going to be the game in the future. And we don't know that's the case. Whereas with uh, wireless, with satellites, you can put up higher tech satellites in the future. You can ch- you can swap out dishes on roofs. You still have to upgrade, but it's a lower up it's a lower cost upgrade in the future. Just like buying a, a new cell phone five years down the line right. is cheaper than having to uh, you know refit all those copper cables on on the uh, telephone poles. Um, I want to, uh, with your permission, um, after we come back uh, on the air, we talk a little bit more about this uh, broadband stuff and especially the technology changes and everything. Um, there's a couple uh, things that I would, a couple of your stories that I want to talk to you about, in, in including the one uh, talking about uh, the medical monitoring and yes. the social media, uh, protecting kids on social media. I think that those would be two that would be uh, very interesting to our guests. Although I will say that your discussion on the the no knock, no knock, no knock rental inspections, I found that was a fascinating. I don't know if it applies too much here in Alaska, but I thought it was a fascinating article. But the other two, for sure, I would love to uh, discuss if you're going to stick with us here. Um, Absolutely. The ironic thing about this whole thing is that there's a company here in uh, Alaska called GCI, uh, and they're a telecom. Um, And they were kind of a homegrown telecom. They got bought out, and now they've shifted all their tech support to some other foreign country. And, you know, it's all these problems and everything else. But they're one of the biggest telecoms, and they're one of the biggest recipients of a lot of these monies that come out of here. Somebody snapped a picture of uh, of the GCI office in Bethel, which is a remote village, uh, I think, 600 miles south uh, southwest of Anchorage. 
And on the outside of the GCI building, there's a Starlink dish on the edge of the building. <laughs> it is just like the deepest irony ever that this company is, uh, you know, got that. It's, it, you know, even they know the the difference. And again, it's 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 just insane with the amount of money that could be saved. Um, again, I don't want government to go in and subsidize and buy these people, all these people, the equipment, but it's pretty, when, when you were spending, my buddy down outside of Bethel was spending 300 bucks a month for crappy internet. And now he spent the $500 or whatever it was, and only spends a hundred bucks. You can offset the cost of that equipment pretty damn quick. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's, oh, absolutely. It's yeah. Pretty crazy. All right. Well, JD Tuchilli is our guest. We're 30 seconds out. So we're going to rejoin here in just a second. Thanks to him for sticking with us here um, and, uh, and, and, and hanging out with us and talking about these stories. We're going to continue the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Again, like and share, like and follow, do all the YouTube things, subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube and all that stuff. We'd love for you to continue to be with us and get your friends involved. Here we go. Okay, continuing now, J.D. Tuchilli, our guest, The Michael Duke Show. We've been talking about broadband and the absolute pile of money that's being poured into Internet for All by the federal government, the Biden administration, and not just the, I mean, it's, this is a governmental problem in general. The Biden administration just took the bull by the horns. Um, and so... Let's talk about, again, some of the solutions that, you know, that are potentially out there. We were just talking about, you know, again, satellite. Um, if there's an upgrade to technology, and you're right, I don't have a landline in my home. I haven't had a landline in my home for 10 years because everybody in my household's got cell phones, right? We, you know, it was a cheap, it was, it was actually cheaper to buy my kid a Go phone, one of the cheap cell phones, and put him on my plan for 10 bucks a month than it was to buy, you know, spend 50, 60 bucks a month for a landline. And I can get him anywhere, you know, all the time. Uh, that That's just an example of technology changing. And the same thing can happen uh, through Internet. I have fiber optic down in the building in Anchorage where I run the radio stations in Anchorage. We have fiber optic in the building, and my Internet speed is like 200. It's very low. And I called the company and I said, can we, you've got fiber in the building. Yeah, but we're at max. We can't. Okay. So it's not as fast as all that. It's not a T1 connection or anything else. So technology changes. We've got to be ready to adapt. And if you've laid in all this infrastructure, you've wasted a lot of money. You absolutely have. I mean, whenever the government bets on a technology being the future, uh, there's a fair chance that it's going to just be wasted money because we can't predict the future. The future changes in ways that are unexpected and unpredictable. Somebody invents. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We lost it. JD, JD is using his, uh, JD is using his satellite, uh, uh, his satellite uh, connection there. And we lost JD for a second. Brown uh, there we go. And that's just something. Sorry. Yeah, you don't, you can't. Sorry, speaking of tech, sorry, speaking of technology, you got about halfway into that discussion. Yeah, the assumption and, that it's going to be the forever technology. 
yeah, I'm sorry, about halfway into that discussion, our technology crashed. You, we lost your connection there for a second. So <laughs> there's some, no, there's some irony there because this is, again, what we're dealing with is you're on a rural internet and, you know, this is kind of what happens. You have to expect this is the kind of stuff. So you were saying, I'm sorry, that I was saying that this technology is going to change and I'll let you repeat what you just said and hopefully we won't lose you. There you go. Absolutely. I mean, whenever the government bets on a technology, invests billions of dollars into it, it's gambling that that is going to be the technology of the future. But we have no way of knowing that. Innovations come along that are unpredictable. There's no way that anybody could have foreseen cell phones in their current form before they were invented. There's no way that anybody could have, say, back in the day of Betamax and VHS, known that uh, they were going to be superseded by video discs and then DVDs and then and then digital files. Um, you can't predict the future. And if you invest billions of dollars in a today technology, you're investing in an infrastructure that might be discarded five or 10 years down the line. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I remember the, you know, and you see these heated debates over time. You just mentioned Betamax versus VHS. Well, Betamax is a much better format and higher fidelity. And it, and then all of a sudden it's super VHS is the winner, you know, and then VHS gets superseded by 12 inch laser discs. And then laser discs are supplemented by, you know, compact discs. And then those are, then there's Blu-ray DVDs go to Blu-ray and, and then it's, I mean, do you even have a Blu-ray player anymore? You know what I mean? I was laughing because I went right. into my closet the other day and I opened it up. And in the inside of my closet, I built a whole wall for all my DVD, not all of them because I got some in boxes. But, I mean, there must be 500 DVDs on the wall. And I haven't picked a single one out because I don't even know if my DVD player is hooked up anymore. We've changed, right? It's all, everything changes. Right. And if government invests billions of dollars in infrastructure on the one thing that's hot right now, who knows what will happen? I mean, they could be, it could be freaking lasers, you know, in the future, transmitting data from satellites, from multi-point lasers or something like that. We have no idea. Yeah, there's a very there's a very good chance that those billions of dollars of fiber optic cable uh, laying being laid across the landscape are going to end up just being junk, like the abandoned pipes you find at old mining sites in the future, but very expensive old junk. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking thousands of dollars per mile, you know, tens and twenty and hundreds of thousands of dollars per mile to lay that stuff, it just it it uh, it blows my mind. So, JD, what's your solution in the long run? Just give it back to technology, get government out, inspire innovation amongst companies and competition. What what's the solution here? Yeah, I mean, get government out of the way. Let let technology take the forefront. There are trade offs in every lifestyle. Um, if you live in a big city, you got noisy nights and you got small apartments. But presumably, you you uh, if you chose the city life, you found that the trade offs were worthwhile. I moved from a city to a rural area. Others have chosen rural areas too. And you want the open spaces and you want the views. But you're not going to get fast internet and you're not going to get city water and you got to use a septic tank. I mean, there are trade-offs in all of these choices. And among those is fast internet. But technology rises to it. I've got decent internet. Um, it's not as fast as I'm going to get in downtown Phoenix or certainly not in New York City. But it, it it's there for me. I've got more options now than I did 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago. Um, and technology and supply and demand will rise to meet what people want, need, and are willing to pay for 
if you get out of the way and don't insist on investing taxpayer money in technologies that may turn into old junk very quickly. Yeah. I mean, as as evidenced by what Elon Musk is doing. I mean, quite honestly. Yes. Uh, HughesNet has been around oh, yeah. for, for years, right? I mean, for uh, 15 years, 20 years, HughesNet's been around. And now they've got the competition, the run for the money. Uh, Musk, uh, here in Alaska anyway, I don't know what HughesNet was down there, but it was very expensive compared to the 99, 90, 99 bucks a month that, uh, that, that Starlink is charging for the same well, same type of service, but at a much higher speed. You're getting half a gig, yeah. essentially, for downloads on that kind of stuff. It's it's fantastic. And as he fleshes that out, it'll be better and better. Well, it's uh, it's if you haven't uh, read the article yet, it's up at Reason.com. J.D. Tuchilli, uh has written it. Uh, the name, the uh, title, The Biden Administration's Ridiculously Spendy Broadband Promises. Okay, we'll get back to that. But more recently, J.D., you mentioned to us and you shared with us here a while ago on the program that you had had little bit of a medical scare and uh, you'd had some issues and then that it meant that you ended up getting a um, a monitor that you had uh, which was <laughs> I mean lots of money and everything else but it led to some other interesting discoveries by you not just how how messed up the healthcare and in the insurance industry is but also that there are some privacy concerns now. Um, and that led you down a rabbit hole into something completely different. Uh, give us, give us a rundown here about politicians wanting to monitor your body chemistry. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I had a Holter monitor, which uh, probably some folks in your audience have used in the past. And you wear these, uh, you wear this device on your chest, these electrodes, and it records your heart activity and then you turn it in. But we're getting closer and closer to real-time monitoring. Um, I mean, I now also have a cardio monitor that I can use several times during the day. And if I want to, I can actually send that telemetry to doctors who will then kick back an analysis of my heart, uh, my heart processing, my, uh, my cardiac activity. We're getting to the point now where you can have full-time monitoring already exists in some categories. Uh, diabetics, for instance, can have their blood sugar monitored and analyzed from a distance. Uh, but there's actually a bill in Congress that would mandate that in certain cases, those who are prescribed opiates, you know, controlled narcotics for pain, would have to be full-time monitored and have their, you know, the blood concentrations of the drug and, their, and the frequency with which they dose monitored from a distance. This obviously has serious privacy implications. You're going to have somebody you don't know at the end of some kind of a, te a telemetry a chain second-guessing your blood concentrations of a drug you need to control your pain and second-guessing uh, the frequency with which you take the drug. The idea, of course, behind this is, is that they say there's a fentanyl crisis, an opiate crisis, and they want to address illegal drug uh, consumption. But most people who are dosing up for recreational purposes are not going to their doctor, getting the drug, and then potentially having a monitor attached. The Wait. people who are going to be monitored are those or is recovering from surgery, and they're going to be getting phone calls saying, we think you're taking your pills too often. This is ridiculous, and it's dangerous. Wait, you're telling me that criminals are going to break the law? 
Is that what you're saying? I mean, criminals, but I mean, this Who is knew? right. I mean, this is the gun control argument all over again, right? Well, we just need one more law. Well, wait, the criminals are, they're not getting their guns legally. Opioid addicts are not getting their drugs legally. Usually. I mean, maybe from a pill farm or something, but for the most part, this is not something that they're going to the doctor and say, I'm Jones and doc, write me a script. You know what I mean? Well, here, put this monitor on and we'll do it for you. I mean, th- this has some very scary ramifications in the long run. It's one thing to have a hookup when you're like a diabetic with a pump, you're type one or something, you got a pump that's being monitored by the doctor's office all the time. That's one thing because that's with your consent and that's your medical physician and it's covered by privacy. It's a whole nother thing to have government regulators step in and be like, we got to watch what you're eating and doing and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we already know there's a problem because uh, doctors who were concerned about how patients would respond to this actually tested diabetics on this kind of technology. And they had different variations of the monitoring technology, and they offered them different scenarios for monitoring their blood sugar, their lifestyle choices, their nutrition from a distance, second-guessed by doctors or by, uh, by algorithms. And a lot of the diabetics uh, said, you know what? This is really creepy. I don't like this. <laughs> and that's talking about blood sugar and diet. It's not talking about opiates. So already patients are pushing back and saying, we don't like this you're going to have a much bigger problem and it's something that might get you thrown into jail. Yeah. And I mean, I just love it when you're, you know, your phone, you look at your phone, your phone goes ding and it says, do you really want that piece of cake? I mean, come on. Is that what you really want people to be doing? And Jeannie in the chat room makes a valid point. She said, oh, and those remote devices are hackable, right? We've yes, seen some issues are. with that as well. I mean, where people, I mean, whether it's just prying into your information or people being mischievous and changing stuff around, uh, you open the Internet of Things opens you up to all different kinds of bad stuff. Well, just imagine what if uh, if you have politicians or celebrities or pundits who uh, need pain control medications and you got people trying to find out exactly how often they're taking that, uh, you know, the opiates to, to control the, the, you know, the post-surgical pain and, and then publish it on Twitter. I mean, that's going to go down really well. Right, right. TMZ is invested in hacking material to be able to read what you're putting into your body and everything else. That'll be the next big, uh, that'll be the next big thing. Um, it's, you know, we're, we're rapidly reaching that point where technology and authoritarianism could merge pretty quickly if we weren't paying attention and we weren't watching it. Um, and that is really kind of the 1984 scary scenario in that regard. It, it absolutely is. I mean, and the second guessing, I mean, the idea that this is for your own good. So we're, we're going to be looking over your shoulder with every medical decision you make. Well, the tendency there, first of all, people are going are gonna to feel creeped out. They know their privacy is being violated. And they're going to second guess every choice they make about controlling their pain or whatever else, because you know that they're not going to stop at this. They'll extend it to everything else, lifestyle choices. I mean, how often are you opening your refrigerator door? Why not? Why not hook up your fridge to the Wi-Fi, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Just do that. You, you could tell. Uh, you get that phone call. We think you've opened your refrigerator one too many times. We're the energy police, or we're the food police, or we're the. I mean, whatever. You know, you go down the line of all the things, and of course, this is all about that politician's disease of somehow they know better than you how you should be living your life, whatever choices that you're making there uh, as well. Uh, J.D. Tuchilli, our guest, The Michael Duke Show continues. One final segment. Speaking of the Internet of Things, what about social media? Do we need to be saved from ourselves or do we 
do we need somebody to save our children from us or what? We'll continue this discussion with J.D. Tuchilli in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Uh, we're in the break right now with JD Too Chili. Uh, I'm just looking at the comment section. Uh, yeah, uh, Brian says yes. Also, see Stuxnet. If you don't know what Stuxnet is, don't don't Google it. It'll be, <laughs> you won't sleep for a while if you Google Google that dark web dark web type stuff. Um, Chris says, um, what about all the cameras that you see from, t- from about the time you walk in your front door, et cetera? I mean, we've, we've already heard that, uh, Amazon. That's already an issue. Yeah. Amazon and Alexa has released information to police departments and things about without, you know, warrants and without all this other kind of stuff. If you've got an Alexa, if you've got a, you know, Nest or Ring or some other kind of whole home. Uh, IOT setup, Internet of Things setup, they could be sharing that information right now, right, JD? Yeah. In fact, Ring, that one brand in particular, uh, boasts that they have a network that is accessible to law enforcement. So all of those Ring cameras you see on people's doors are accessible by uh, the local police if they sign a contract with Ring to do that. Yeah, without, without a warrant. I mean, they have access to without a warrant. Yeah, they're not calling you. They're like something happens on a street and they happen to be signed up with ring. They just access every ring camera on that street and go back and look at the cloud and see what has been recorded on your ring for what what the last whatever. Um, We're paying for our own surveillance state. We're paying for it with monthly subscription fees. Yeah, exactly. It's it's man, it's frustrating. It's frightening. To think that that's what we're doing, and we're doing it an inch, an incrementally, an inch at a time, and uh, I mean, I have an, I have a fire cube. My TV is run off of a fire cube. A fire cube is essentially an Alexa device, right? And so mm-hmm. sometimes we'll just be talking about something, and the TV won't even. It'll be paused, or it'll be playing the wallpaper of you know, looks like a big piece of art or whatever, and you'll say something, and the cube will go, "Bing, did you say something to me?" Kind of thing, you know, and you're like. The th- damn thing is listening all the time. Uh, it's, uh, you know, don't ever talk about, you know, nuclear and assassination and president all in the same sentence because, I mean, the next thing you know, you could be getting a call. It, it's that kind of spooky stuff that we're looking at. And we don't know where it ends because you don't know, you know, the capability is there to listen and watch, and you don't know what the legal authorization is going to be a couple of years down the line after you've already purchased the device and put it in your living room. Right. You don't even know. And the ring thing, nobody knew about because it's probably buried somewhere in their terms of service or their end user license agreement or whatever. You just don't know that, hey, we give police access to all this information if they ask for it. You know, let and, and, so, yeah. and Dodie just said, and our phones are listening too. You're right. I mean, if you read yeah. the terms of service on your cell phone, the thing, the damn thing is listening all the time. I mean, it's, it's always, have you ever talked about, one of my buddies is like, yeah, he said, one day we were sitting there talking in my office about 
hella skiing or something, something that I don't ever normally do. But somebody came in and told me about the joys of hella skiing and that I should look into it because I love to ski. And he says for the next two weeks, I got ads, retargeting ads about hella skiing outfits in my area. He's like, I didn't. I didn't Google it. I didn't do it. Just talking about it in an office is like scary stuff. Yeah. Talking about it. It also tracks you. I mean, this is a big part of what your, our phones do is that they're mostly location beacons that just happen to make uh, phone calls and send texts. Um, if you're near a store, very often you'll find that uh, ads for that store will pop up on your phone. Um, and it, there's definitely a, a, a tracking of your life, your movements to your life. If you're ever doing anything that you don't want to be part of the permanent record, don't bring your phone with you. Yeah, don't bring your phone with you. And and some some people say, even if you turn it off, it's still, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I feel like sometimes I'm that paranoid guy in the, in the, in the corner, you know, Wapner, 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 they're out to get me kind of thing. But, uh, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they are out, aren't out to get you right at this point. They sell all that data and the NSA collects all that data and they do all that stuff. So like you said, plan accordingly, how many movies or television procedurals would be cut short if the bad guy just left his cell phone in a box at home? You know what I mean? Oh, big time. And more than a few more than a few real criminal cases, too. Yeah, no, more than a few real criminal cases where they tracked it by your cell phone. Um, all right. Uh let me go back through here. Um uh see if there's anything. <laughs> Susie said she turns her phone off um uh all the time. Uh let me go back up here. Um uh, I guess that's stay ungovernable. Looks like we covered most of the stuff that folks are asking about in the chat room. Um, Denise says drug abusers in our town uh, in far caused a pharmacy in our town not to fill my husband's pain meds after a knee surgery. That's a common complaint. You got people. It in is. fact, in fact, they just came out and said that they're discovering one of the things that I thought was a piece of positive news. They're discovering that they are underserving people who actually need pain medication because of this hype around the opioids and the fentanyl and everything else. And uh, maybe they'll, I don't know, maybe they'll rethink it. We'll have to find out. Uh, all right. We're going to continue here. JD Tuchilli, our guest, the Michael Duke show, internet, social media, and protecting the kids. I'm going to drop that link in the chat room right now. We're going to kick that off right here. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. That was just uncalled for. I mean, it's there's some intellect. It might not be my intellect, but it's somebody's intellect. Speaking uh, of that right now, one of the smartest writers I know joins us, J.D. Tuchilli, contributing editor to Reason Magazine, comes in, and I kind of hogtied him for the whole hour, which was kind of fun. I don't know if he was expecting that, but we're covering some of his latest and greatest uh, pieces. Uh, you can get it in your email each and every day uh, by just going to The Rattler. It's a weekly newsletter from J.D., um, and, um, uh, I mean, it, it seems like it's more than weekly. It seems like every other day or something, I'm getting a new story dropped in there. So he apparently is going above and beyond his, uh, his requirements of what he needs to write out three there. times per week, three times per week. It's good stuff. Um, all right. So we talked about the broadband for all internet for all. We just talked about health monitoring and the final one, 
And this all seems to center around the internet. But the final one is the dangers of social media, not just for us as adults. I think that there are some dangers in there being mostly because we're in an echo chamber and we really aren't challenged with any kind of uh, alternate ideas or thoughts. But for kids in general, that's the new push. We need to protect the kids. Um, And that's behind a lot of the laws that you've seen lately about uh, that are being struck down across the country about putting age verification on every website, getting a parent sign off on social media and all these other things. But now Congress is involved and they want to they want to regulate your children's online activity and um, uh, they're going to do it under the guise of protecting your kids. Um, and this has got, again, more privacy concerns, J.D. Yeah, this is uh, the protecting kids on social protecting. Yeah, protecting kids on social media act, which uh, doubles down on a couple of other bills uh, that have been introduced in Congress and also brings in some state level legislation. Uh, the problem with this, of course, is that once you invoke for the children, I, I just we should probably all assume it's a bad idea. And then if you invoke all right, you know, invoke children and make it a bipartisan bill, something awful is coming. What this bill basically does is it imposes age verification requirements. It's not all it does, but that's a big part of it. It imposes age verification requirements for the use of social media, bars its use entirely uh, by children under 13, and it requires age verification and parent notification and approval between 13 and 18, if I remember right, or 16 and 18, I forget the exact cutoff. But if you think about that, if you impose age cutoffs, that means you got to know how old the people using social media and other services online are. And how do you do that? Well, you've got to identify them. So it also has uh, you know, a test program built into legislation for creating government approved identification programs for people. But until then, uploading driver's licenses and other government um, identification, meaning that there's no more, if this bill passes, if it's implemented and if it passes muster, there's no more anonymous online activity, right? right. Everything you do would then be connected to you. You'd have to approve your identity so that your age could be verified and everything you did would then be connected to your name, your identity and known by the government as well as everybody else. It's a really big deal. It's very invasive. And it has free speech implications when you once you realize how much speech, especially that critical of the state, is anonymous and would no longer be permitted to be anonymous in the future. Yeah, no, we're seeing more and more of that. I mean, and the fact that this digital ID program, the pilot program they have baked into this bill, is being run by the Department of Commerce. Again, all that information in government hands, in government computers, um, and even or not, like you said, even if they're just you're you're sending your driver's license pics to the social media company. I mean, it's not like none of these companies have been hacked. It's not like your digital identity is is totally secure or guaranteed to be secure. And the fact, again, that you now have to beg the government's permission to take place in the workings of the public square, essentially, is very, very troubling. I mean, the founders would probably be like, let's go down to the tavern and talk a little treason. You know what I mean? Because that's a scary, scary time. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the founding arguments for this country leading up to the revolution and then even the debates about the Constitution were anonymous. People didn't necessarily want their name out there so they would face retaliation. Well, it's the same now. A lot of anonymous speech is the freest speech. 
because there's an insulating layer between you and retribution. But um, this digital ID test program, I mean, among the sources they want to draw off of is IRS records. Uh, wow. I mean, how many times has the IRS been hacked? In fact, there was another report that came out about two weeks ago pointing out that the IRS backdoors that were found to have been exploited three years ago are still open. They still have closed those. So we're going to rely upon government agencies to prove our identification to be stored by another government agency. I mean, there's really going to be, that's a huge privacy violation there, but done over and over again, kind of multiplied in terms of its awful effects. Um, and again, this means that you need permission from the state to do stuff online, not just Facebook, but a lot of social interaction online, a lot of speech online. You need a mother may I permission card from the government, assuming they even get it right and then don't retaliate against you for whatever it is that you do online. So it leaves your personal information vulnerable to hackers, to the government, to, uh, I mean, uh, unscrupulous employees. Elizabeth Nolan mentioned that. Uh, unscrupulous employees. That's happened before, right? We've seen uh, different entities and different employees who use that information for their own ill-gotten purposes. Uh, it ends the anonymity for you to be able to say what you want to say, you know, whistleblowing or being critical of government. Government. Could you imagine a time where you're critical of some congress critter or some other person in power out there and now you're not hiding behind a username or some pseudonym they know exactly who you are and the retaliation that's uh that's available in that is troubling to say the least and no doubt i mean in the context say of adult websites some of the lawmakers who have sponsored these age age verification laws have made it cl very clear that they want to create a barrier they want to discourage adults from doing it too because if you have to jump through hoops, if you have to identify yourself, if you have to upline docu upload documentation, a lot of people are going to say, you know what, I'm not sure I want to go through this process. Um, and so the lawmakers addressing who, who are very concerned about, say, sexually oriented sites very much want to discourage adults from doing this and scrape them off. But if you have the same system for social media, for political discussions, you're going to scrape people off from that, too. They're still not going to want to have to upload their driver's licenses or get digital IDs. And you're going to discourage a lot of online activity and exchanging of information. I think the most <clears throat> the all those bad things that we just talked about being said, the most troubling part about this is how you end the article talking about government pushing parents out of the way. As you said, anytime you say for the children, you know, immediately you're on the defensive and everything else. But what this does is it basically takes away uh parental responsibility. It's like more and more we're turning to the government to raise our kids or police our kids or do, you know, to take care of that. They're trying to be surrogates. Many of them are trying to be surrogates in the education system and all this other kind of stuff. This is just one more kind of attack on in the long run on parents and creating a more dependency based society that requires all that governmental permission. Well, that's just it. The whole assumption behind protecting kids online legislation is that there's no other parents or guardians, no adults in the room at all who could do this themselves. And that's ridiculous. Parents have always had the ability to turn the TV set off or close the laptop or take the phone away and say, go outside and play. It's not a 100 percent barrier. Kids have forever worked around parental restrictions. But parents really do have both the authority and the obligation to intervene and say, this is right. This is wrong. These are our expectations for you. We think you should live up to them, knowing that some kids obviously are going to test the limits. 
but it's it's primarily a responsibility for parents and guardians to exercise their judgment, not the judgment of politicians in a state capital or in Washington, D.C., whose values they may not share. J.D. Tuchilli, our guest, senior contributor, uh, 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 contributing editor, rather, for Reason Magazine. J.D., what are you working on uh, now? What are we looking for next? What's the next thing you're writing about? Well, I'll be talking about that New Mexico uh, decree by the governor uh-huh. there suspending uh, people's rights to uh, carry uh, firearms for self-defense, um, even though she admitted that she knew that criminals would not obey. So the only people being affected, even in her own estimation, are the law-abiding types, the peaceful people who are just caring for self-defense. And I'll be putting that in the context of the emergency orders uh, during covid and how this kind of unilateral rule has become almost normalized over the last couple of years. Yeah, see, I, I blew my whole thing. I, I, I stole you for an hour and bullied you into being on the show for an hour today, and I should have waited till Friday. But it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. And again, if you want to get JD's commentary three times a week, it's at The Rattler. You can find it at Reason.com. Just click on his name anywhere you see his name, and you can sign up for that newsletter. Uh, JD... Thanks for letting me keep you for so long. I appreciate that. It's always good to talk with you. Uh, and I love I love hearing what you're writing about. Thank you so much for all you do. My pleasure. You take care. All right. Hold the line for just a second. Folks, we are coming out. We got more tomorrow, Tuesday. Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets talking about the weekly top three. A little bit of our life coaching lesson and a PMA segment with Chris Story and more all this week. It's going to be a good one. You're going to have a great day today. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. I just wanted to say one more time, thank you, JD. Um, I didn't tell you how long you were going to be on, and I jealously held you over for an hour. I hope I didn't break up your day too bad. but uh, Not at all. It's my pleasure. <clears throat> I always I always love talking to you. It's always some good stuff. And keep up the good work, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being part of it. Thank you. Until uh, next time. All right. Uh, that is, again, J.D. Tuchilli from Reason Magazine uh, here on The Michael Duke Show. All right. Uh, we are um, – oof, man, things are slow today. We are uh, – we're done for today. We're going to pull the plug, and we're going to head on off, and we will see you guys tomorrow. I hope you have a good one. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. 